Red Rocks Church, Austin, you can be seated. I don't think you understand, I have been a fangirl of Red Rocks Church Austin for a very long time, and I'm so sorry it's taken me this long to come out and visit, but I had the privilege of officing next to Doug, Ryan, and Ethan while they're dreaming and planning and trying to get this church off the ground, and so I... This is also why it's just like so crazy to be here and actually see it because between the joking that was taking place in that office, the YouTube videos that I would hear, the putt-putt golf that they would be playing, and the incessant movie quoting that would take place, it's an actual miracle that Red Rock Church Austin really did happen. So give it up for your leaders. They really are the best. And, you know, they were called for such a time as this to such a place as this. And that has been so evident from the moment I walked in the doors. You can sense the grittiness, the blood, sweat, and tears that has been poured into this church. And uh, the volunteers are so great. The people have been so welcoming. So it truly is an honor for me to be here with you guys. Uh, Real quick, I have to just introduce my family because they desperately wanted to be here but couldn't. Um, My husband is a hockey coach at a high level, and so he is, yeah, that's him. He's super hot, and I love him oh so much. He's the absolute best. His name is Brent, and he is on the East Coast coaching. They're trying to go 5-0 this weekend, and they're they're on their way. They're doing great. Um, If you can believe it, we have been married this fall for 19 years. Yes, it is a big deal. And you're like, how old was she when she got married? I was a child bride. It was a, it's, it was a thing, yeah. But no, 19 years we've been married. That's my hubby. And then God blessed us with one very special, beautiful, perfect, angelic angel child. And her name is Felicity Joy Fissette Bond. And she is an angel. I love her so much. She really is my best friend. We were at the age, she's a junior in high school. And we, like, get each other at a level now that's just really special. Um, She feels called to ministry. God has his hand on her life. And it's just really cool as a parent to see your kids want to follow the Lord on their own, not dragging them to church. But, like, she wants to serve God. She wants to love Jesus with her whole soul. And so that's my little family. They send their love and best regards. But I have been so excited to come and share my story with you guys since the moment that Doug asked me to. So Father God, I just pray that you would just come, your spirit would reside in this place. Lord, I just pray that, um, Jesus, that you would use somebody as insignificant as me to show these people your love and your grace and your mercy for them. We love you oh so much, and it's in your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so my story begins as a very nerdy, awkward, scrawny, skinny child, homeschool. Do we have any homeschool kids in here? We're home. Yes, woo! Homeschoolers. Yes, awesome. Okay, so I was a homeschooled kid who was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. I was raised in a very strict Christian home, so I was not allowed to watch said show. However, I did at one point in time try to record it on a VHS tape and like sneak out of the room. It didn't happen, I did get in trouble. But I loved Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was my fashion icon of like junior high, early high school days. Her hair, her makeup, all the glitter. Now looking back, the fashion was really bad actually. But in my mind, she was everything. When I went to get my hair cut, 
haircut. I cut out a picture of her from Bop Magazine, and I said, I want to look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. And uh, so when the conversation took place that I was not going to be homeschooled anymore, and I was going to get to go to public school, I thought, this is my time to shine. I'm going to walk into that school, the coolest girl looking just like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I had my whole outfit planned. And part of that outfit was going to be these Doc Martens that I really, really wanted. This was like the start of the Docs that are like, you know, more accessible to like high school kids. And my parents were not going to do that. No, we shopped at Payless Shoe Source. And so I had really bad pleather knockoff docks, but the string, you know, was not the iconic yellow. It was white. And so I took a marker and I colored my white string yellow. And I was, I felt so cool. But I walked into Columbine High School as a young freshman, just thinking, this is life. I'm going to have a locker, backpack, teachers that aren't going to be my mom, even though she is the best, I have to say. But other boys, I could have crushes on boys, and I was going to have friends other than my brother. Like, life was just beginning. And I really did embrace it all. I loved it. I made friends quickly, and I tried out for cheers. I made the cheer team, and it's just like I loved everything about it. And little did I know that on April 20th, 1999, my utopian bubble of perfect life as I knew it was going to implode. I went to school that day, typical, normal. I said goodbye to my mom. My dad was actually on a um, business trip in Florida. And so I said goodbye to my mom. Love you. See you later. Closed the door behind me. Went off to school. I had a very big final project due for Mr. Mosier's earth science class that day. And I had already gotten one extension on it, so it was like really due that day. And so I had this grand plan. I'm going to go to my classes, and then at lunch, I'm going to go to the library and finish this project. And so bell rings for lunch hour. I'm walking down the hallway, headed to the library. I'm actually looking at the library doors, and I have to walk past the staircase that get, uh, goes downstairs into the lunchroom. And so I'm walking past the staircase to the library, and I get this smell of Chick-fil-A like none other. And we used to serve Chick-fil-A sandwiches uh, in the cafeteria. And so I get this smell, and I get this, like, ravenous hunger. Like, I have to have Chick-fil-A right now in this moment. And my brain is like, you have a science project due. You don't have time for Chick-fil-A. You need to go and get to the library and get this done. But something came over me, and I was like, I need to eat right now. Okay, so maybe my friends can help me with my project downstairs. That's rational. I'll eat. They'll do my project. It's great. So I didn't know, but in that moment, that decision, I don't know if it saved my life, but what it did do is it prevented me from experiencing way more horrors that day for sure. And I went downstairs, and I sat at a round table surrounded by friends, um, backpack on the floor with the science project in it, eating Chick-fil-A, and, like, distracted by the fact that we had a disposable camera taking old-school selfies, and hopefully you can develop them at King Super's grocery store later, and they actually turn out. Um, but we were taking pictures, just having um, good fun. And I actually I tried to find them, and I couldn't. They are somewhere hidden deep in my house. But I actually have some pictures of me and my girlfriends sitting at the table moments before literally innocence was just taken from us. And it's surreal to look in the eyes of kids before 
and the eyes of kids after. I didn't know it, but I was sitting right next to a propane tank size bomb that was in a duffel bag right next to a trash can that was ticking down time waiting to explode. And there was two seniors sitting in the parking lot right outside the cafeteria doors waiting for bombs in the lunchroom that's here, library on top, bombs in the lunchroom to explode for the library to come crumbling down on all of us to kill any survivors that escaped. By a miracle of God, that did not happen, so Eric and Dylan began to approach the school. And as I take a bite of my Chick-fil-A sandwich, I see David Sanders, who is my computer teacher at the time, come bursting into the lunchroom doors with his hands above his head, screaming at the top of his lungs. There's 400 students in this cafeteria. It's loud. You guys all know what it sounds like. It's crazy in there. And they just come bursting in, and everybody just looks at him and got quiet real quick. Get on the floor. Get on the floor. Cover your heads. And he's yelling, get on the floor now. And so immediately we got on the floor, and we covered our heads, and we were sitting underneath this table kind of wondering, like, is this a fire drill? Is this a senior prank that went really, really bad? What is happening? But I will never forget the look in Mr. Sanders' eyes. It was terror and fear. He was scared of something. We just didn't know what at that moment. I'm underneath the table for just a few short moments. I, I really don't know. It's hard to judge time, if I'm being honest. Um, but just a few short moments, I was underneath that table. And um, did we show that picture, Mr. Sanders? I would love to do that right now. There he is. That's Mr. Sanders um, running through and then up this staircase to the top level of the school. And I'm actually sitting at that first pillar. You can kind of see in the center. That's my table, and there's a trash can right there, and that's where that bomb is. And I'm underneath that table in that picture right there. And we're underneath it, and I just hear from the other side of the lunchroom, kind of where it's real bright, those are windows, that's sun shining in. From those windows, students could see Eric and Dylan coming up and shooting at kids and killing them. So they scream, they have guns, everybody run. And I heard that word gun, and I heard the word run in the same sentence, and my heart just began to beat a million miles a minute. My brain is trying to catch up to the chaos that is happening around me. I finally am trying to like get out from underneath my table. My hands are getting run over. I'm getting shoved to the ground, but I finally get to my feet and look around and just see kids pushing each other, drinks and food all over the floor, chairs getting thrown in the air, but everyone is kind of running up that staircase to the top level of the school. So I, I reach underneath the table and I grab the hand of my friend and I pull her out and we hold each other's hands real tight and our feet were just like frozen. <laughs> Felt like we were just cemented to the ground. But we looked at each other in the eyes and it was like, without saying a word, we knew we had to move. Our feet needed to go. And so we began to make our way up this staircase to the top level. My foot is about to like get just to the landing and I see a, a teacher open up her door and start scolding us because as kids, we were not allowed to be upstairs during lunch hour. We were to stay downstairs in the cafeteria. And so she's opening her door like, what are you kids doing out here? And my foot hits the ground and I hear the first gunshots inside the building. It was a machine gun and you guys all know what that sounds like echoed through the whole building. My ears were just ringing. It was rapid fire, and it didn't stop. 
And I remember looking back down into the cafeteria from where I'd just come up from and seeing those kids looking up at us from the top level and them just screaming, run, go, run. So back to Buffy Vampire just really, really quick. Again, she was my fashion icon. So in one of the episodes, she had on white foam platform sandals. That was the day I decided I was going to wear my Buffy shoes to school. And even though Sarah Michelle Geller can do flips and tricks and kill vampires and white foam, like platform, I'm talking big, not like little, not like that, like big, okay? Platform sandals. They are not meant for everyday running and uh, running for your life, literally. So I do not recommend it. That was her choice. It is not meant for mere mortals like us. So I start running down this hallway because you see there wasn't a plan in place. Now there are intruder drills and there are, um, this is the protocol and this is what you do when someone comes into your school, which is absolutely sickening that that's actually something that our children have to practice, but it is necessary, unfortunately. So I didn't know, do I go into a classroom? Do I go into a closet? Do I go into that corner over there? Do I just sit on the ground or pretend to be dead? I don't, what do I do? But it was like God lit up this exit that was at the very end of this, the the longest hallway in the whole school. It's like I was at this end and all the way at the other end was this really long hallway with an exit door. And it was like God just lit it up, go that way. Holding tight to my friend's hand, we began to run. I'm hearing glass shatter all around me, bullets ricocheting off of lockers, my peers screaming. And I knew that if I fell and tripped in my white foam Buffy shoes, I would be trampled by hundreds of students behind me. And in that moment of fear, God did something supernatural. If you've ever had a like life or death situation or experience, um, you've heard people use the term, my life flashed before my eyes. That actually is a really real thing. And I experienced that. It was like all this terror and noise was all around me. And then it got real still and almost a slow motion sensation. And I literally saw my life flash before my eyes. It was like from beginning to the moment, it was memories and family and friends. And then it almost had like this flash forward effect too, like hopes and dreams and things that I wanted to experience in my life. It was this big whirlwind right in front of me. And then in that moment, I heard the voice of God for the very first time. And he said so clearly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And he said, three times I heard it, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And then all of a sudden it was gone. It was back to the world and in the chaos. And I looked at my friend, I squeezed her hand super tight and I said, we're gonna make it. We are gonna make it. And we ran out that door, pushed it open, took our first breath of fresh air, a sense of relief rushed over me. And I looked to my right, and there was a police officer there. He had his gun drawn, and he had it pointed to the ground. And he began to ask us questions, like, where are they coming from? How many, how many uh, shooters are there? How many people have guns in there? And all I could get out was, they're coming up from the cafeteria. And he told us to run as fast and as far away from the school as we possibly could get. So we ran down a hill, hopped a fence, crossed the street. It was lunchtime. It was busy, so cars are swerving out of the way because here comes hundreds of kids. Hopped another fence into a park. 
And I stood in this park, and I turned around, and I looked at Columbine High School, the school that I had fallen in love with, that I was so excited to be a part of. And I looked at that school, and I thought, this isn't happening. It was like I was in shock trying to process it, but I can hear the guns blazing inside of the school. And my friends are in there. My teachers are in there. And what, like, it was just, it was unimaginable what was actually taking place. My mom, where we lived, is really close to the school, and she actually heard the gunfire as she was outside doing some gardening, and she got in her car, drove up to the school, and saw a bunch of kids in parks and, like, in front of houses in the neighborhood, just hundreds of kids everywhere. So she's looking through crowds, trying to find me. And if there's any moms or dads out there, you know that feeling where you, like, lose your child for a second and that rise of panic that you feel, like, you just have to lay eyes on your kid and then all will be right in the world. Well, it's the 90s, and so nobody has a cell phone, and there's no way to get a hold of her. But finally, about two and a half hours later, I was able to contact her through somebody else. She was able to, I was transported farther away, and so she was able to finally get to me. And I will never forget that embrace, being held in her arms. And she didn't even say any words. She just began to pray over me because there was nothing to even say. She just began to pray. There definitely was tangible evil that took place that day, tangible. But God also was on the move and was working. Like that bomb that I talked about uh, that was next to my table. They had placed them all throughout the school on timers to go off, and not one, not one did. I had an FBI agent come to my house and show me a picture and say, did you see this? And it's a picture of the device. I said, nope, didn't see it. And he says, yeah, it was right next to your chair. And I'm like, I was really distracted by selfies and Chick-fil-A and science project, but I missed that. And and so I said, okay, so why, why didn't any of the bombs go off? And he says, well, they all ticked down to the ticking, you know, to the moment where the igniters would come together, and they all malfunctioned at the last minute. Well, my mom's a praying mom, and she's like, no, they didn't. I prayed protection over my kid. She's at school. God's protecting her. And the FBI agent's just like, yes, ma'am. And she's like, that was not a malfunction. That was God. God was in there with my girl. (laughs) So I believe in the power of prayer for sure. And I have to share another awesome story about my friend Heidi, who, okay, remember I said I was on my way to the library. Um, I most likely would have been sitting with her because she was at a table all by herself, and we were friends. And there are three sections to the library. She was in the farthest section away from the door. Well, Eric and Dylan, as they made their way through the school, kind of landed in there towards the end. And they threw bombs in that sent shrapnel everywhere, filled the room with smoke. And they said, every single person in this room, prepare to die. Everybody, prepare to die. So she's huddled underneath a table, and she begins to pray, God, make me invisible. Make me invisible. Make me invisible. I have told this story thousands of times, and every time, because God is this good, she's under that table praying, God, make me invisible. As Eric and Dylan make their way section by section, bullying kids, making fun of them before they kill them, pacing on top of tables, shooting kids through tables, demonic stuff. They get to her section. 
Dylan is pacing. She can hear his boots on the table above her as she's huddled, crying out to God for protection. She, Eric looks down underneath the table and makes eye contact with her. And she says, Lauren, it was like he didn't even have a soul. It was like looking into black pits. Miraculously, she made it out alive. They made their way downstairs to the cafeteria, shot the bombs that were supposed to go off but didn't. So if you're all wondering if I ever finished a science project, I didn't. It's on fire. It blew up in the cafeteria. Never happened. It's, it's dead. So they make their way out. Heidi gets out. She goes back into the library weeks later with her parents and the FBI as they're trying to put a timeline together, pieces of the puzzle together. They get to her section. And now you have to understand, most of the casualties were in this room. It was destroyed. There was blood everywhere. They had blown up the room. It was destroyed. They get to her section, and literally, there is a perfect ring around her table where not even a drop of blood had touched. It was like a shield had been placed over her table. That is the God that she called out to, and that's the God that answered her prayer. A student, a child, a kid in a library calling out to God, and he, he saved her life. And I, this side of heaven will never understand why 12 students and Mr. Sanders, the teacher that came into the cafeteria, um, lost his life warning kids and teachers throughout the whole building, why we lost 13 precious souls that day, and why some of us lived. Um, I, don't, I don't know all the answers to all of that, but I do know that God took that situation and turned it into good in so many powerful ways over the past 22 years. I could talk forever. I have so many more stories. If you ever want to know them, you can Instagram me and I can answer all your questions. But as a young girl, um, that was a lot to process. Uh, this is kind of before the mental health movement of our day. And so being a good Christian girl, I'm like, I'm fine because of Jesus. I'm good. But inside, I was really struggling. I was really going through a dark, dark day. Um, I, I needed, and I didn't get, but I probably needed, like, intense counseling. Um, but that really, it was just wasn't really talked about. It was just a different time. And so I'm dealing with all these feelings and emotions, and they're changing me from the inside out. I'm becoming angry and bitter, and my tongue is sharp, and I have a bad outlook on everything. And that was not my normal personality. So I had this, like, building up building, 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 and I had this breaking moment. Watching TV with my family, there is a violent scene, and it was like a trigger. Something went off inside of me, and I was mad. And I went running upstairs to my bedroom, and I slammed the door, and I was throwing things in my room, and I was hitting my pillows, and I was screaming, why? Why did this have to happen? And I mean, I just, rage was coming out of me. My parents came upstairs, and my mom wrapped her arms around me, and she's holding me, literally holding me because I'm, like, violently flailing. And she's holding me, and she says, Lauren, you have got to forgive Eric and Dylan for what they did, or you will remain a victim. Well, you see, Eric and Dylan took their own lives that day. So there was never going to be 
an apology. There was never going to be this moment where I could look him in the eyes and say, this is what you did, or have some type of conversation or a turnaround moment. There wasn't going to be that. All I was left with was unimaginable grief, terrible nightmares that kept me up at night, loss in trust really in anybody, fear of big crowds. Every time a balloon popped, I would cower. Like I was left with all of this. They didn't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not going to do that. They did this to me. I have a right to feel the way I feel. And she, she's speaking this over me. There was a spiritual battle that was taking place really over my soul in that moment. There was darkness that was trying to continue, and God was trying to push through and saying, you're not meant to carry this. I got it. Give it to me. Offer forgiveness and let me take this weight off of you. So through the pain and the tears and the fight, I said out loud, I forgive you, Eric. I forgive you, Dylan. And I said it, and I meant it. And in that moment, I just felt this darkness come off of me, this heaviness, this oppression that was literally weighing down my soul came off of me. It got to the point where I didn't realize how far away I had really come from Jesus because of that, because I was holding on to that. I actually had people give me advice that was saying, let your anger empower you, let it drive you, let it push you, twisted theology and thinking. When God is like, no, 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 that's not at all what I want you to do. I want you to surrender that. I want you to forgive so I can come in and heal your heart. I can come in and do the work that only I can do. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. And you can read all about it in Luke 23, 34 where he has been beaten and whipped and his body is bloody and bruised and he's had a crown of thorns put on his head and he's been nailed to a cross. And as he's hanging there, one of the very last things he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So if that is our example, if that is the standard, he gives us the strength to do that. He gives us the strength to do that as well. 22 years later, there are still friends of mine and people that experienced the same situation I did that never allowed forgiveness to be a part of their healing process. And they are still angry and bitter and, and it has bled into other areas of their life. And now they're raising children and they're raising their children full of fear and anxiety and pressure and tension. And it breaks my heart. The truth is when you experience the power of releasing and letting God come in, it's like, oh, I never want to feel that again. And now that has become my MO. Somebody does me wrong, I'm going to forgive instantly, even if I don't want to. And even though I feel like they don't deserve it, that's not mine. That's not my decision to make. That's what God asks us to do. Now, disclaimer. When we forgive people, there absolutely are situations where that means you, you forgive them. It doesn't mean then that they have instant access back into your life. There are absolutely situations where it is unsafe to have certain people in your life. Forgiveness isn't really about them. It's about you and what God is doing inside of your heart and in your life. This is what God asks us to do. In Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, 
brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. And I said to Doug, I can't come into Doug's house and not have a C.S. Lewis quote. And so here it is, people. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The best part is, is forgiveness is not forgetting what happened, but when you remember those situations, you can remember it without anger being attached to it. I will never forget the moments of those days, the feelings, what took place. It still grieves my soul, but I'm not angry in sin anymore. And all throughout the Bible is the example of Jesus who went against the cultural norms, right? Jesus came and he shook things up. He sat with sinners. He touched and healed lepers. He had conversations with women with questionable character. He went outside of the box and he set the standard of, even though the world says do this, I came and I'm going to do that. So when everyone was telling me, you have a right to feel this way, or you ha- you're, it's okay to stay in this cave of, of resentment, like, no, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. It is time to release that and let that go. The best part is, is God can give you the strength to do the hard things. It is hard to say that. It was painfully hard to say that out loud. It was, it went against everything that was inside of me, but God gave me the strength to do it. And when you call on his name, he is right there with you, that promise of, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is with you when he asks us to do the hard things. At the end of the day, forgiveness takes you from being a victim to a victor. And I would get so mad when people would introduce me as, oh, this is Lauren, she was a victim of Columbine. Oh, this is Lauren, she's a victim of gun violence. She was a victim of 420. I was just like, stop calling me that. That is not my title. I am not a victim of anything. I had an experience, but it is not a, a, a label that you're gonna put on me. I don't have a victim mentality. I have a victory event mentality because God gave me the strength to overcome the dark days. God gave me the strength to step forward in freedom that he provided. And so, band, you can sneak up here if you want. That'd be awesome. And real quick, as I'm sitting here and, and talking about this, and you're sitting there, I should say, and uh, um, maybe God has dropped a name in your mind or somebody that you know you've hurt them. And maybe it's time to lower your pride and humble yourself to go ask for forgiveness. And whether or not they respond the way that you hope and you have this like bro moment or this come to Jesus meeting with them, that's on them, let God deal with that. But God does ask us to make the peace. God does ask us to ask for forgiveness of each other. And it is a really powerful moment when that happens. I don't know if you've ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings and I know it. Will you please forgive me? There's something like, oh yeah, yeah, here you go. Yeah, absolutely, I forgive you. Sometimes it's that easy and sometimes it's not. But guess what? God is with you every step of the way and he can do it with you. What the enemy meant for evil, 
God can use for his good and he turns ashes, dead things, into beautiful masterpieces. All of us in this room, each and every one of you, has a story, has a testimony. That word testimony, I just love it. It's kind of old fashioned and now we use the word story but it really is the same thing. You see, God created you so therefore he has a purpose for you and he wants to use you and he gives you your stories, your experiences to help connect with each other, to build community, to be vulnerable with one another. The strength that I've gotten to be able to talk about what took place is only because I've allowed Jesus to come in and help make me vulnerable in that. Sometimes it is hard to talk about your stuff and what you've gone through and your story, but I guarantee you somebody out there needs to hear it. Somebody out there needs your testimony. When you have God moments and you have experienced him doing something in your life where you know without a shadow of a doubt that was God, he did that for me. You're gonna wanna talk about it. You're gonna wanna say, look at what the Lord has done. Here is my story. This is who God is and who he's been in my life. Let me encourage you with that. I listened to two very different things as I was preparing for this message. And somehow I landed on a Stranger Things playlist, which by the way, is really epic and like gets the blood flowing if you need like a little pump up. So I was really into Stranger Things. And then God brought me and has, I've listened to it hundreds of times, I fell asleep to it the other day, to the old hymn, it's called Blessed Assurance. There's a line in there that says, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. So wherever you are in your story, wherever you are in this testimony journey, you still can have a song in it, even if you feel like it's a dark place, a sad place, you're walking through something. It can still be your song because God is still good and he's still on the throne and he loves you so much. I wanna close with the story of my dear friend, Rachel. Rachel was a good friend of mine from the age of seven. Um, she was like the coolest girl to me and she, <laughs> she had really great style that was like Buffy and I got her hand-me-down clothes, which was really special to me. <laughs> So I thought like I was cool like her. Youth group, I'm junior high, awkward homeschool kid getting to go to youth group for the first time and Rachel's the one that greets me. And she, I sat up front with her. I remember watching her worship and thinking, wow, she just really doesn't care what anybody else around her thinks. She's so focused on Jesus. Rachel was gifted the gift of having eyes to look for the lonely, the ones who were outcast. She really had a heart for just different types of people. She was a friend to all. It didn't matter what your status was, what you were, how cool you were, how cool you weren't. She was going to be your friend. And there's an actual video um, that I've seen um, that Eric and Dylan and Rachel, the three of them were in a video class together and they put in a group to do a project. So this video camera is rolling in the background and these three are having a conversation. And the conversation is Rachel just sharing that she loves Jesus, that she's a Christian. She was not beating the 
Bible over their heads or saying, you're going to hell. It wasn't anything like that. She was just being genuine with her faith. And those two boys, they ridiculed her. They made fun of her. They literally said, we praise the Romans for what they did to Jesus on the cross. That's the type of evil that these two were carrying. Well, on that day, Rachel was eating lunch outside of the cafeteria with Richard Costaldo, who was in band. When the bombs didn't go off and Eric and Dylan began to approach the building, Rachel was one of the very first people that, that um, they encountered. And they shot them both um, from a distance several times. Richard is now in a wheelchair. I remember going to the hospital and visiting him. He's in a wheelchair permanently, but he was conscious, so he could hear this conversation and encounter take place. And so Rachel's trying to crawl away. And they held her head up by her hair and put a gun to her temple and said, Rachel, in this moment, do you still believe in God? Like a taunt. Oh, with her head held high, I know she, she said, clear as can be, she said, I do. And they took her life in that moment. And you know what? That is her story. And that is her song. And she gets to praise Jesus all the day long because of that. Her story has been so impactful. And as a high school student during that time, it really did send like a revival of young people. Her story went forth. Her, her message is a, has been in more high schools than any other school assembly program around the world. 22 years later, this girl who dedicated her life to the Lord and her death to the Lord has had an impact on the kingdom. This side of heaven we will never know, but I know she impacted me. And I've had the privilege of meeting people. Today I met somebody in the first service who was also a survivor of a school shooting. There is a connection there. And your story may not be, may not feel like it's as big as this, but it's important. Your experiences are important and people need to hear it because when you allow God into your story and you give him permission to use it, the enemy has to flee and God has the opportunity to come in and change lives. He takes the broken parts of our lives, the ugly, the mess, the ick, and again, turns it into something wonderful that he can use. If you're sitting here today and you might be struggling, do I deserve this forgiveness for myself? I'm here to tell you that you do. Because in Romans 23, 24, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely, freely. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work for it. It is a free gift, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And the best part is you can step into his presence just the way you are and he meets you right where you are at. And today is the day of salvation. 
It is not a fear comment. I, today is a day of salvation because God wants you to live the absolute best life you possibly can live on this earth. He wants you to have the absolute most impact on other people for his glory. So if you all would just stand with me. This doesn't mean our problems go away, but it does mean that his spirit is with us to the very end. To the very, very, very end. So with every eye closed and with every head bowed, I want to offer you an opportunity. If you are here and you've never made that choice to receive forgiveness for yourself, to receive freedom that comes from becoming a child of God, the freedom that comes, the peace that comes, the joy that comes. It is a free gift for you today. And if you are here and you want that, you want your testimony from this point to be divided from I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. You want the divide and you want that to happen right now. If that is you, would you be so bold and just slip up your hand so we can pray for you? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. He loves you so much. And I'm going to pray a prayer over us all in this room. Because again, God is a God of stories. God is a God of testimonies. And I believe that there's going to be some testimonies of victory over situations that are you personally are going through in your life right now in this moment. I want to pray a prayer of faith and I want to declare it over you and I want you to receive it because the Holy Spirit is here and He is moving and He is active. So for every person here, for those who are tired, Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. For those that are anxious, I pray that you would bring them peace. For those who are depressed, I pray that I pray that the Lord would just come in and restore their joy and bring them to your light. For those who are consumed with fear, I pray that they would find security in your presence. For those who are lonely, I pray that they find relationship closer to you than ever before, that you would surround them with godly people to show them your love. For those who are angry, I pray that they would find peace in knowing that justice is yours. For those who are hurt and feel betrayed, I pray that they would find loyalty in the truth of your word. For those who are struggling with unforgiveness, I pray that they would find freedom in forgiving and letting go. For those who need to know unconditional love, I pray that they would find their worth in you. For those who are overwhelmed, remind them that your oak is easy and your burden is light. God, I pray right now you would begin to uproot lies and replace them with your truths. Give us the endurance when we need, when we feel like we just wanna quit, let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Develop in each one of us a godly character set apart for your glory. And God, I thank you for the hope of the world that is Jesus Christ. We do not deserve such grace, but you so willingly gave it. It is in your precious name we pray all of these things. Amen. Let's worship.